More than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. It's February 23rd, and you are tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that means it's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Chelsea Beheimer, And I'm Heather Forsyth. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. So here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and their personal stories each week. If you're a graduate student at Oregon State and you're interested in coming on the show, you can find out more about all the awesome things going on here and check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. And here you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages as well as our podcast if you miss an episode. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Before we get started, I want to plug that in about a week, we are having this event called Grad Inspire, and we've done similar events in the past few years. So this is an event uh, organized by the host of Inspiration Dissemination in uh, collaboration with the grad school. In the past, it's been called Grad X. And what we do is we essentially choose and nominate graduate students at Oregon State who have really, really compelling stories and really exciting things to say. And they give short, inspiring talks about uh, their research and their personal struggles through that or triumphs through that. And uh, it's going to be March 3rd in the Memorial Union Ballroom here on campus. It starts at 6, but doors will open at 5.30 p.m., and it'll last until about 7.30. There's going to be free food. I'm going to say it again. There will be free food, <laughs> and there will also be uh, Block 15 is helping sponsor this event, so we're going to have some Block 15 brewing beers there, and I'm very excited. Some of the speakers, or I'll just list all the speakers, we have Samuel, Samuel Burns, who is a student in applied anthropology. Shauna Otto, who's a PhD candidate in biochemistry and biophysics. Barbara uh, Speaker, uh, who is in integrative biology. Winston Kennedy, who's in kinesiology. Meredith Jacobson from Forest Ecosystems and Sociology. And Ashley Ellenson, who's a student in civil engineering. And all of them have really diverse perspectives and stories to tell. And we're really excited. And we've been working on it since October. Yeah. So uh, please acknowledge all the work that we've done. <laughs> Yay. Round of applause. No, we're really excited about it. I think it's going to be a great lineup. Well, it is a great lineup and very inspiring. Yes. To say the least. <laughs> and speaking of inspiring, 
We are joined tonight by another inspiring individual who is not going to be on uh, Grad Inspire on the stage coming up, but he is here in the studio with us tonight, and his name is Linus Stoltz. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Awesome. <laughs> Glad you're here. Um, and he is a master's student in the Marine Resource Management Program here at OSU, um, co-advised by yes. Kip Sherman and Francis Chan, and this is through the College of um, Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences? That's correct, yeah. All right. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your research in this program? Well, I'm a little biased, but I, I think I have one of the coolest projects around. <laughs> uh, I'm studying hypoxia, and I'm working very closely with some commercial fishermen to deploy um, dissolved oxygen probes off the coast of Oregon. Um, and hypoxia is just a fancy term for low oxygen. Um, we're starting to get seasonal hypoxia here off the coast of Oregon. Um, my advisors had done some previous work in these past few years and found you know, that we're having to deal with this seasonal hypoxia that's becoming an issue in the summertime, usually from March until on through the end of September. Um, and I will be give, working very closely with commercial fishermen and yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sorry, that's all. Yeah, that's all. Over. Just very so brief. <laughs> okay, yeah. so um, that was that. W- that's a big project. I know you're saying it's short and sweet, but it seems like there's a lot to unpack. So, first of all, you sort of described hypoxia is low oxygen conditions. So this is, I'm assuming, not a good thing. No, this is bad. <laughs> um, it's something that we can kind of hopefully account for. Um, this. The last few years, uh, fishermen have been pulling up dead crabs in their pots in areas where it's traditionally bad, um, and it's kind of an understudied. We know this is occurring, but we don't exactly know where the hypoxia is the worst, or you know, there's so much seasonal or uh, spatial space uh, variation in it. Uh, you, I know some fishermen who set their pots one one place, pulled up dead crabs, and then they check their next string. Uh, you know, a couple miles away and they're totally fine. So we just don't, there's something where is emerging that we're not a hundred percent sure on. So it's, the nature is, of this is very much a pilot study. Yeah. Try and, uh, yeah. It seems like something that would be really nice if we could model it and predict where the low oxygen levels are going to be. Right. Yeah. So the idea, hopefully if we can come up with sort of like an almanac, so given certain environmental conditions, um, here, hypoxia is forced mostly by uh, it's wind-driven hypoxia, so that is brought on by um, upwelling on the coast of Oregon. Um, so you have equatorward winds, so winds that are blowing from north to south will uh, sort of pull the water up from the depths, and this water is low in oxygen already, and it's pretty high in nutrients. So the low oxygen water, high in nutrients, the phytoplankton will kind of go crazy with that. They'll bloom and then they'll die and that decaying activity sucks the remaining oxygen out of the water and that can can create conditions that are um, kind of conducive for hypoxia. So I don't know if other people out there listening, the term upwelling can kind of mean different things to different people. And I think a lot of people are under the impression that upwelling is a good thing for our coastal ecosystem. So where where does it kind of cross the line from being good upwelling of nutrients to 
being these hypoxic waters. Sure. Yeah, there's definitely a fine line. I mean, we have some very productive fisheries, mostly driven by a lot of this upwelling. There's tons of nutrients out there and for primary productivity. So the base of the food chain, phytoplankton, they grow and then everything kind of feeds on those and it kind of drives the food cycle from there. Um, But the issue with hypoxia is the retention time. It, when it can stay in these areas and settle in and not get flushed out. So this upwelling is kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, it, it drives a lot of the, um, primary productivity and in turn helps, you know, have very lucrative fisheries here on the West coast, but it can lead to, uh, undesirable conditions that we might not under fully understand yet. So why are crabs really vulnerable to hypoxia? Well, in they're innately <laughs> not super vulnerable. Uh, they know to move, but uh, <laughs> when they're, hmm. they're in a pot, it's hard for them to leave. So, uh, you know, Fishermen will target crabs and set their pots and the crabs will do crab things and go into the crab pots. And then all of a sudden this oxygen will just kind of deplete. And I don't know if it's, I'm, I'm envisioning like a wave of hypoxia that just kind of washes over these crab pots. Um, but now that we're putting, we're going to be putting out about 40 sensors. So we're going to have a better idea of kind of the dynamics between, mm-hmm. um, kind of the oxygen dynamics as they evolve over the shelf. So if we have these sensors placed kind of clustered together all along the coast, um, I think it'll be really neat to see um, how kind of quickly the oxygen wall, the hypoxia wall will come on to these pots, if you will. So these sensors are going to be deployed in the crab pots or on them. Yeah, they'll be placed uh, inside the pots. And yeah. are you going to do that or are fishermen going to do that, that for you? Our fishing partner, <laughs> our fish, fishing partners are, will, are going to be doing that. Yeah. Cool. Something that's so cool to me about your research is how involved local fishermen are and yeah. fisherwomen, I guess. And you, it's something that is really close to people's hearts. People love to eat crab. Um, it's think it said $66.7 million in commercial sales just from the fisheries in Oregon, which is crazy. Yeah. And also, so it's a thing people really care about and are willing to apparently to like work with scientists and to put in their own research effort or whatever effort is needed to improve these conditions. And that's really exciting. Yeah. It's, this is a really cool project. Um, I've, Coming from North Carolina, I worked pretty closely with some commercial fishermen to um, reduce bycatch in the um, shrimp trawl fishery. We tested some different gear configurations, and it's really neat to come out here and kind of compare the different uh, communities of fishing industry from coast to coast. And it, it's it's very different here, um, good different, <laughs> but uh, just definitely different. Um, everyone that all the fishermen that I've interacted with here, super helpful, super knowledgeable. Um, and I'm really looking forward to working with them as partners on this project through the summer. Yeah. Were you skeptical of that at all at first when you experienced this shock to this more collaborative environment between fishermen and scientists? It was definitely, yeah, it was definitely surprising. Um, it was, it was good. I, I didn't really have, I tried not to set any expectations for what I was going to expect. Um, I mean, I'd worked with some really awesome people on the East Coast and I was mm-hmm. just hoping that I could come out here and you know, get to know 
some folks. I, I still I'm looking forward to getting to know a lot of them and working with them over the summer. Yeah. What does your research look like just throughout the each of your days? Are you on the coast or are you in a lab? So we're in the process of building these sensors. So um, in the next couple of weeks, I'll probably be calibrating a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be in the lab for calibrations. Um, and then I'll probably be driving out to the coast and giving them the sensors. But I, I don't foresee myself going out on the boats a whole lot. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go uh, on to our blog webpage, uh, there is a photo of one of these sensors that Linus is describing. Um, but it, it's not really to scale. They're quite big. Yeah, they're a little big. About two feet. But they're, how big is a crab pot? Uh, the crab pots, they can be, I, th- I think, 36 inches, thir- two, okay. three feet. I think that's the regulation. I, I know there's, I should know this. I really should. I know <laughs> my Don't advisors, worry. I know they're going to be on me. But. <laughs> and then can you explain a little bit, in the photo, there's a sensor that's obviously the, that's collecting the dissolved oxygen yes. information. And then there's a little, it says, Deck Data Hub. It looks like a little box. What is the, what does that do? Yeah. Okay. So I think this is really neat. This is something that still blowing my mind. Uh, that's going to go on the boat, and okay. it will be the receiver for the data. So the uh, DO sensor will be on the bottom in the crab pot, collecting data probably every ten to fifteen minutes um, for three or so days, or however long they decide to fish the pots. Um, and the idea is that we're is it's as easy for them as possible and to uh, collect this data. We don't want to get in their way. Um, so when they pull the pots back up, the blue the uh, sensor will automatically transmit over Bluetooth all of the data it's collected to this deck box. And when the deck box gets in range of cell service, mm-hmm. it'll transmit over basically how you text to the server on campus that will store all the data. Um, and that's what its job is. It, and they can actually see, as soon as they pull it up, it'll get, they'll get a, uh, a profile, basically, of what the oxygen conditions were. So they'll be the first ones to see what the conditions were at that site, which is... That's so, so they cool. could use that like on the spot. Yeah, so in, in theory, you can, take, uh, you can go out to where you're thinking about setting, and if it looks a little suspicious... Um, I know that some, most of the fishermen I've talked to have said that they can, they'll see a change in the water. It'll be turned brown. After, if they can know if after a really strong north wind, it'll kind of be brown and real murky. And sometimes it's suspicious whether it might be, you know, good or bad. But they can drop the uh, sensor with the pot, uh, pot with the sensor in it down to the bottom and wait probably 10 to 15 minutes for it to collect a few oxygen measurements and then bring it back up. And they can see, oh, it's it's low. I'm not going to sit here and waste my time or, you know, resources to come and pick this thing up. If I know the oxygen, there's not going to be crabs in it or worst case scenario, the crabs that I do pull up are dead. (laughs) What did you, how did you come into researching crab sensors for crab pots or oxygen (laughs) sensors for crab pots? You, came from the East Coast, right? Yeah. And you've had some work working in fisheries of various kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did you kind of stumble upon this project? Well, uh, short of uh, just luck, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was working for uh, North Carolina's Division of Marine Fisheries, um, which is kind of like ODF&W, but just for fish. Um, 
And I worked for the oyster sanctuaries and artificial reef uh, section, and we would mount monitor water quality in the Pamlico Sound. So I had a lot of experience with um, taking in taking a sensor recordings i'm just loving here (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you had some experience with like using sensors in a marine life yeah researching environment right already and then you went to look for grad schools grad programs yeah advisors right i I found the marine resource management program and i was really interested in it and uh flaxen the director of the program has been super great and i actually originally reached out to her about working on a i think what was the project wetlands economics or something like that and i sent her my transcript and she's like oh i don't see anything about economics on your transcript am i missing something (laughs) (laughs) like no but i like you know what the program's all about and i emailed her probably in october or something and i didn't hear back from her and months later in march she was like do you still want to come to oregon state and i was like she's like i have a project for you i was like yes i'll do anything (laughs) <laughs> and it was just the coolest project. I don't know. I was, I'm really lucky. So it was yeah, really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that when we spoke to you before the show is pretty cool about you. And I think unique is that you are really excited about any project related to marine resources. So it seems like if, you know, the director had sent you an email with any project, you would have been super stoked to just jump right in no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, I love marine science. I don't know. It's yeah. really neat. I've, you know, when I was younger, I would always watch the Discovery Channel with my brothers and, you know, I started diving when I was younger and I was just was always really into, you know, marine biology and marine science. And I've worked in uh, algae labs. I've done aquaculture, uh, gear development and fisheries. I just, Anything that's on the water and is doing something sciencey, I'm just really excited about. So you didn't grow up on the East Coast. You grew up in Ohio, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. So what was your <laughs> very first kind of immersive experience in this magical underwater marine world? Well, I started diving pretty young with my dad, um, and I got—I was lucky. I got to get certified when I was ten. <laughs> So wow. that was always fun. Yeah, where did you get scuba certified in Ohio? <laughs> uh, what was the name of the quarry? Finley Lake, I think. It's okay. Oh. So you got scuba certified <laughs> in a very cold, cold lake in yeah, cold. Ohio yeah. at the age of 10 years old. <laughs> and you loved it. Loved it. Every minute of it. Just loved being in the water. And we would we would go to the beach and, you know, everything in the summer. And you know, we always loved playing in the sand and being in the water. Um, and it's just this it on through. I don't know. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> Here you are. Very cool. And so you're pretty early in your program, right? You're in your second term yep, second and you're term. already kind of fully involved in this pretty big project. So where do you see kind of um, what's the end goal? And then kind of after that, do you see yourself continuing with this project? Because it's obviously really involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think for the next few months in the summertime it's going to be important um so we'll really get a sense for kind of the oxygen dynamics as they kind of evolve over the summertime um i don't know at this point whether we'll be able to make any predictions based on you know if there's any observed environmental conditions that we can say oh you know if the wind blows out of the north for you know three day three days and then it's not windy and then it's comes around it's some combination of environmental conditions will lead to 
this hypoxia recipe. I don't, I'm not sure, but that'll be really interesting to kind of analyze when we actually get the data back. Hmm. And as far as on into the future, um, I, I think that would be cool to kind of, uh, keep following through with it. Um, but I'm open to any new adventure always. <laughs> I think that's something really cool about you and cool about most grad students and researchers, I think is that we're really excited about the process of learning. And I think that's the most important thing maybe to be a researcher is to just be willing to be adaptable and to research different things and get ex- learn to get excited about whatever cool topic you're going at. Yeah, definitely. But also, do you have a favorite marine animal by chance? Oh, favorite marine animal. <laughs> oh, put me on the spot here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think sharks are neat. I, I think in a perfect world, I would be a shark biologist. I think that'd be the really... Cool. I don't know who would pay me to do that, but I think that would be the coolest thing. Sure. <laughs> You're on Shark Week. Shark Week. <sighs> don't get me started on Shark Week. <laughs> it's gone downhill. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I hate to ask the one of the harder questions, but I'm so curious because I think a lot of conversations around some of these ocean issues that are affecting really valuable fisheries in Oregon, you hear a lot about climate change effects on the ocean. And what is your take? Do you feel like these um, local kind of efforts to try to understand these larger scale ocean impacts, do you think we are going to be resilient as coastal communities in in Oregon? Well, I think it depends. Um, I think it depends on how much effort we put into understanding these um, environmental conditions. I know that off the top of my head, issues that are affecting the uh, Dungeness crab fishery, um, ocean acidification comes to mind. I think I saw a couple of weeks ago that there's an article in CNN that ran about ocean acidification that was really interesting. Um, that is clear. That's affecting the early life history, early life juvenile, early life stages of Dungeness crabs. Say that four times fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and hypoxia is becoming an emergent issue, um, with just the ocean global deoxygenation. There's kind of a trend for us losing oxygen, um, based on environmental conditions, um, and climate change. Um, currently I was looking at um, Dungeness Crab's kind of management plan, and they only have two conditions right now, environmental conditions that they really monitor for in terms of uh, management strategies, um, which would be demoic acid, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, acid that comes out of like phytoplankton and can build up in their tissues and make us sick. But, um, and then meatfulness. So that's just what percentage of their body weight is um, usable meat for their crabs. Um, so I, I think it'll depend on being able to take those external stressors that are going to become apparent as mm-hmm. climate change kind of progresses and build a management framework that's um, adaptive to that. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be really important. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. It kind of speaks to what Heather said about, you know, we're all in this to just keep learning in the context of these larger issues and you're kind of on the cutting edge of not just understanding how species are adapting to these changes, but ecosystems that include people and um, fisheries and management, which is. Yeah. You're not only researching how the Dungeness crab might have to change, but how the people who collect the Dungeness crab might have to change and the people who eat the Dungeness crab might have to change. And 
manage the Dungeness Crab. It's a whole web of complicated mess. Yeah. 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 Well, excited to hear how the sampling season goes. Coming, That's coming up, right? You said in March? Yeah, hopefully we, uh, mid-March, mid to late March, we can get the sensors in the water. Cool, get some data. It sounds like you're excited, excited about that. Yes. Well, we have um, a couple of traditions here on the show, in addition to grilling you with all the hard <laughs> questions um, about your research. Um, but we also like to hear from you some advice that you might have for maybe your former uh, undergraduate self or other grad students or whoever Whoever you would like to share your words of wisdom with. Well, um, I would say to my former self, <laughs> the journey is random. <laughs> There's a lot of random facts, uh, external factors that go into graduate school. Um, just take any opportunity you can and just do a good job and things will work out in the end. So, yeah. Awesome. That's well awesome. <laughs> What so our second tradition is for you to pick the last song that we play, and can you tell us what song you picked and why you picked it? Um, uh, let's see, uh, Crow Jane by the Derek Trucks band. I like Derek Trucks, so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Enough said. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, coming, for on coming on the show. On the show. <laughs> thank you for having me again. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Can't forget that. Can't forget All that. All right, well, here it is Crow Jane by the Derek Trucks band. Have a good rest of your evening. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. The theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Haman. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Holbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends.